RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. So in March 2022, the High Court ruled that although the vaccine mandates in the health and education sector were a breach of human rights, they were demonstrably justified in a free and democratic society. Really? After taking advice, I'm reading from the NZT SOS appeal PDF. After taking advice, our members in the education sector voted to continue the fight and file an appeal against the decision. And that's what we're about to talk about now. And joining me is Rachel Mortimer, Head of English and Social Science, obviously from the teaching profession. And Rachel, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And Dr. Alison Goodwin, who is obviously a doctor, and Alison has done the job for us of, I think, attending uh, virtually anyway, that hearing uh, originally, and also wading through the paperwork, Alison, I believe. 50 pages, didn't you say, when we were chatting just before? Yes, yes. A, a lengthy judgment by Justice Cook. Yeah. Okay. So let's start, sort of set the scene with, with what happened back then. And Rachel, the mandates and how that applied to the education sector. So take us back and remind us what happened there. So uh, around November, the call came out uh, from the government that they indeed, after they'd said they would not mandate and they said that they would not um, do anything uh, to punish those people who didn't get vaccinated, the call came out that we as teachers or in the education sector would be uh, mandated. Um, and that was for teachers, for groundskeepers, anybody who had contact with students, teacher aides, office staff. Um, there was about 5,000 educators um, that we know of, there's perhaps more, who had to leave their job or refuse point blank and lost their jobs because of the mandate. That doesn't include all the other teachers who were, um, who under duress went and got the shot and it doesn't include the teachers who ended up getting um, vaccine injuries from the shot. Um, so we launched a, a couple of court cases along with the doctors and the midwives, which was the first one, to look at whether this was a fair and just um, decision by the government to basically cripple the education system um, and the other sectors uh, for a vaccination that didn't really have a lot of background to it. So there must have been some sort of awareness that you used the word cripple, that this would have really impacted. I mean, 5,000, what, what's that as a percentage? I mean, it sounds like... Uh it's a reasonable not, number, right? It is a reasonable number. Our first case, um, we put it to uh, the judge and our first uh, high court judge uh, case. We put it to the judge that this indeed would have a detrimental effect, not only on the people who were losing their jobs, um, but the students and um, basically whole communities. So we know that it goes right from early childhood all the way up to tertiary sector. We know since the mandates have come in, um, we know that early childhood centres that have been going for years have had to close their doors, which has disrupted their um it's disrupted their, their whole communities. Um, we know that child care centres are very hard to um, find teachers for. It's gone quite, um, in some cases, there are huge waiting 
roles for uh, children to be put into these centres because we don't have enough of them anymore. So many of them close their doors. Um, when you move up to primary and secondary, we've had two years of interruption uh, for our students. So some of the students at level one, two and three of NCA have gone through this whole COVID debacle and they've left with not really the teaching they should have had to prepare them for tertiary education. And even now, our schools are shutting their doors and sending home students, um, especially senior students, because they can't um, afford to, or they don't have enough teachers to keep the schools going because people who are in the education are still getting COVID their second or third time. Um, the vaxxed so, ones. Yeah, the vaxxed ones. Um, the, to make it really interesting, the schools are in panic mode, so they're hiring uh, teachers college students who are not experienced enough with limited authorities to teach. They're hiring anybody with skills who may be able to teach and giving them a limited authority to teach. And they're also bringing in people or paying huge exorbitant fees to bring in people from overseas. So teachers who do not know our kids, do not know the culture of our schools, um, usually with um, English being their second language and then plopping them straight into the middle of their our best schools for education. And on top of that, they're doing this big um, NCA refresh, which is just a complete nightmare. So yeah, it has an impact and it's got a huge impact still on our students. So no loyalty to New Zealand citizens. Nope. They're prepared to put uh, inadequate, well, uh, people whose professional um, standard is is not there, you would say? Yeah. Uh, the, the students coming out of the teacher's college, et cetera, not good to go. They must have, they, it's always the they, they must have known when, when this whole thing kicked off, it would have these sorts of consequences, or maybe you'll, you'll tell me they didn't, and that the way it would sort of roll out would be predictable and obvious, yet they were prepared to throw so many people under the bus. It, that's kind of hard to figure out for me. Um, what's really interesting is when I had talks with PPTA representatives, um, when I did point this out to some of the PPTA representatives, their comments were, that, oh, well, I guess the schools will just have to deal with it. Um, there was no sympathy at all about the position that it puts schools, principals, boards of trustees, the whole community. You're paying the subs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're going to work was, for you. Yeah, well, they're supposed to. They're supposed to work for us, but that, that hasn't really happened at all. They're very closely affiliated with the Labour Party, aren't they? Yeah, yes, they are. Is there something in that, do you think? Um, yes, I think so, because what's really interesting is at the time of the decision of the mandates, um, Bloomfield stated like that schools hadn't been a setting where they saw transmission. And in fact, the idea to go to these mandates did not directly come from the um, Ministry of Health. It came as a push from the education department because they wanted confidence to keep people from um, being worried or scared that they were able to contain this virus. So it was really more about a public health perception rather than public health. So yeah, the Ministry of Health didn't actually have that behind them when they first pushed it. I know many teachers who did try and bargain with their principals and their board of trustees, and they did offer things like, um, you know, specialist subjects teachers did offer to do some of the work from home, um, to do it via Zoom, make sure the kids were still getting that um, the teaching. Um, I know of one teacher who was a specialist 
specialist in her field at the school and she was the only one who could teach that particular subject, um, when she begged them to do the work from home and she said she didn't even need to be paid and to just keep her job open so she could come back and keep that subject alive, um, she was told she wasn't getting the vaccination, so she was terminated from that. And to this day, um, that school does not have that subject going. How many principals and school trustees have treated people so badly that really they're not fit for the role? They're not leaders. And can people who have that sort of attitude to their profession, can they be uh, relied upon to perform their duties to any sort of standard? I would say no. Well, the interesting thing is, is that many people in the school system, um, the ones who were thrown out like a sack of rubbish, they were treated terribly. Um, we have teachers who were getting threatening emails from principals saying you need to just get the stupid jab, you stupid person. Um, we've put all that through to the, the Human Rights Commission just with the, um, the stuff. That, and the, the people have laid complaints and we've all been told that this is just under COVID, it didn't really matter and you had no rights. Um, People who had been in the profession for 25 years, they didn't even get an acknowledgement. There was, um, I had people who had been at a school between the two of them, they've been at, at the same school for 50 years between them, I'm a married couple, and they didn't even get a goodbye at the assembly. They simply got told to walk out and not tell the children why they were going. There was no contact from, from, from um, anyone else. You, you became a pariah and your name was Mud. Okay, so what is that revealing true personalities there, personality types? There has to be some explanation for being so heartless, right? No, I think when you look at, I mean, I, I teach history and I teach, and I, you know, I look at a little bit of psychology here. I think it comes down to the fact that the government played a really good fair campaign. People were really worried about their, their lives. Yeah, but these are smart people, right? Look, Educated they, they people. Are smart pe they are smart people, but people are driven by fear. Fear is a great motivator. I tell my students at school, you know, when it comes down to it, you, you are looking at Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You have the important thing for safety and food and food and water. And, and actually above that or below that is your necessity for human relationships. So you would do anything to, to make sure that you were safe. It is that innate need for safety. And that, that did come out. The, the government played a very good um, game and, and basically saying that we were all going to die, you know? <laughs> yes, yeah. there were there's, behavioural psychologists were advising at least the government in the UK and undoubtedly New Zealand's government on how to perpetuate the fear and how to get the behaviours that they wanted you know, they've been top-level behavioural psychologists advising how to run this whole thing. Um, that's Alison. Um, but uh, that meant the price of that is destroying people. Yeah, it was. And that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. all right. Yeah. Um, I, I think probably the biggest thing that I, that many people have a problem with is the is that nobody has acknowledged just exactly what has happened. Um, if people have been allowed to go back into schools, nobody, you've, you've been given directives not to talk about it. Do not bring up the mandates. Do not talk about what happened. Um, and, and it's all part of this whole sweep it all under the rug and pretend it didn't Guilty happen. consciences. Oh, that too. Um, but there are a lot of hurt people out there. There's so many hurt people that are completely broken by what happened. They've lost family. They've lost friends. They've lost, um, you know, 
in some of the schools, I know for me, my school was, it was like another family to me. Um, and to lose everything in just such a quick and, and, and horrible way was the most heartbreaking thing that, I, that I've ever faced and many other people have ever faced. And some of the educators refused to go back to school now, even if they came back and, and they said, please come back to school, you know, we really need you. They're so broken and traumatized by what happened to them that it's actually better for their mental health that they don't do that. And, and that's that's the real shame. But nobody acknowledges it. Nobody acknowledges the vaccine injuries. Nobody acknowledges the trauma that we went through. Um, that's very, very hard because how can you confront anything or even get over it if it just is thrown under that rug and nobody talks about it? Alison Goodwin, the I think the, the case in March 2022 um, the judge said the COVID mandates were demonstrably justified in a free and democratic society. You're a doctor and you were across the case. Demonstrably, how so? Well, uh, I mean, I guess an ordinary person would potentially ask, you know, if something was going to be demonstrably justified, you know, first of all, is it necessary Secondly, does the measure that you want to introduce uh, do what you're expecting it to do? Is it effective? And is it safe? And I'm not quite sure which of the order, which order those three things should go in. But those are the sort of questions you should ask. Do, do we actually need to do this? Uh, is what we're pro pro proposing safe? Uh, and is it actually going to do what we want it to do? Um, so the, the, to me, those three things needed to be demonstrated. And, and Justice Cook actually said that there was a um, significant evidential burden placed on the Crown to demonstrate those things. So effectively, the government had to demonstrate that it was necessary, that it was safe, that it was effective to do those things. And uh, I guess the, the teachers are appealing the fact that uh, we don't think that the Crown actually did that. But the judge did. Well, the judge, yes, the judge has agreed. The judge that, is uh, a smart man, <laughs> learned, educated, not a fool. Yes, so, yes. Well, yeah, I don't know how much pressure or whatever has gone on, but you know, some of the statements that um, he made uh, about the the scientific evidence that we presented um, suggests, well, maybe he didn't actually engage with it sufficiently, and that's that's what, as doctors, we felt. Uh, happened that our evidence, you know, we had evidence from um, subject experts. We had Dr. Byron Bridal, uh, a vaccinologist from Canada, uh, Dr. Jeffrey Cramp, a public health physician here in New Zealand, Nikolai Petrovsky, an Australian vaccine developer, uh, and Norman Fenton, who I think is an epidemiologist in London. All of those four uh, provided affidav affidavits and expert witnesses, uh, affidavits as expert witnesses. Um, whereas the Crown just had Ian, uh, Ian Town and Ashley Bloomfield, they, that was the experts for the Crown. Uh, so our experts provided a whole lot of um, scientific evidence about the, well, about the need for the vaccine, about its lack of efficacy to do the job, and about significant safety concerns. And uh, Justice Cook didn't really engage with that. You know, some of the comments he made in the judgment were uh, that there are factual matters that are in dispute. Uh, there was plainly a contest of expert evidence. You know, so our experts said one thing, the government experts said the other thing. Um, many of the opinions expressed by the applicants, so that was the doctors and the teachers, experts were not responded to. So the doctors and the teachers experts said this, and the Crown didn't bother rebutting it or saying anything about it. 
and he said, effectively, I had two sets of expert evidence uh, effectively in parallel. I was unable to make findings on some of the more technical aspects. Uh, you know, so th there's a number of statements in his judgment that sort of suggest, well, actually, maybe it wasn't fully, um, you know, that he wasn't fully convinced or, you know, he hadn't engaged with the science enough. I guess that's... Or he gave more credibility, even if it was no information at all, to anything the government side said, a yeah. bias towards that. Yes, that, that, that's what it felt like they pay watching him. it. What's that? They pay him. <laughs> well, Who knows what goes on? In theory, the courts are separate from the um, other parts of government, but... What, what's really interesting is that in one of the affidavits, it, it states that um, Bloomfield said, and in, in just after the um, the protest in Wellington, he said it's, it risks public confidence and compliance with both the voluntary and non-voluntary measures if people see that the people they can be defeated by a minority of people who refuse to comply. So if well, this is, is social it, engineering. This is Ashley Bloomfield. Yeah. So that's not his job. <laughs> but but think how terrible it would look if, if, you know, they've made people go and get the safe and effective jabs and they're still making people go and get the safe and effective jabs. How does it look if it comes out, if, if, it's, if it's in our favour? In some ways you have to question whether that pressure was there. Too bad. It was about a perception of people feeling safe. They made people feel unsafe, and so they gave them the the answer. They gave them the the safety measure to make sure that we could all work together and, and carry on in society. Imagine how it would look if it came out that actually it wasn't what what they said. That's how it's come out. I know. So, so it has. So they were looking after their own excuse my French asses. They were saving their own asses, weren't they? Yeah, potentially, potentially. Oh come funny. on, we know how human nature works. Yeah. Yeah. Don't we? All right. So that leaves a whole lot of broken people, not only the workers, the workforce, but I'm interested in how did that affect the students, the kids? And bearing in mind, there's a whole range of kids at school these days, not like back in my day when we're all about the same, you know, there, there's um, special needs. Um, there are different uh, communities, decile communities the relationships that you were mentioning before between teachers and students, almost kind of like a family relationship, I would imagine, in some cases. Yeah. Okay, the effect on the workforce is one thing. How retarded from that has education become for a lot of students? I think when we look at we we NZTS always uh, sent out a study. We sent out a survey to members and people in the communities and children and parents just to ask how the effect of the mandates had what what effect it actually had on them. Um, and the results we got back, I think we had over a thousand people who responded, and the results we got back were very much you know the students. Uh, you know, they were, they were grappling with a lot more depression. There was, I mean, it wasn't just the fact that they lost their teachers, but at that time we had students who were also being pressured to go and take the jab. We had students who were in some of these, these communities, they were having to work part-time jobs to help support their family due to, you know, income and, 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 and help them make ends meet. And they were pressured to go and get the jabs by their bosses 
Um, and so their health was put at risk, even because, I mean, Alison will tell you that, you know, a lot of the studies coming out, the, the children definitely didn't need, need this safe and effective We could talk jab. about that in a moment. Um, yeah. So they were pressured. They were also refused from a whole lot of places. So their so, social life, because students need to have their peers around them. And they were suddenly told that they couldn't go on rowing competitions or going to um, any of these like drama or ever. They were actually barred from all these sporting things. I had one story where a young man was, he, he refused, he, he, he was allowed to go to a competition with his peers, but so he, they had to sterilize everything beforehand and they had um. to sterilize everything afterwards. And then they would put a rope up and he had to be on the other side of the rope to eat his meal away from everybody else because he was so dangerous, so toxic. This uh, this but is insane. This is a teenager. I can't believe was, I'm hearing this. Uh, yeah. So that was just one story. But where were we they say, also holding pitchforks? Uh, no, no. But I do know of some schools who, when the students refused to wear masks or they refused to have vaccinations, some of the schools did... Um, come down on them heavily or segregated them, put them in timeout spaces where they're away from their peers to keep their peers safe. So um, the problem with society is if you give one group a little bit of power, there is always going to be this need to try and um, people abuse that power. And a hammer lot of people, people did yeah, abuse that bring power. The, bring the hammer down. Yeah. Yeah. So Ashley could get his knighthood, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well done, Ashley. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, the threat, the medical threat, Alison, uh, I think pretty well by that stage, we all understood that if you were of a certain age, your risk of anything bad was like infinitesimal, one in a million or kind of in that ballpark. Young people particularly were, you know, it was a, a bit of a walk in the park, COVID for, for young people, no big deal. So why the hysteria around young people when we already knew that? Well, it's that's a good question. I mean, this well, that was sort of late 2021 when the mandates came in. It was evident fairly early in 2020 that it was the elderly and the frail who were most at risk. Um, and so, I mean, the only conclusion that I can come to with the way everything's played out is that there's a bigger agenda. This has nothing to do with health. Uh, it's never been about the health of the population. There are too many things that we did against health uh, and not enough that we did to promote health for them, for anyone to be able to say, well, it was about health. Uh, and so this whole mandating of, of students, of mandating of teachers, mandating of healthcare workers, mandating of everybody, it's a bigger agenda. The interesting thing you just mentioned, health, uh, education, the fundamental institutions of a society, aren't they? This is where, you know, the rubber hits the road there. This is where you get educated so you can become a useful member of society and have a reasonably enjoyable, interesting life. Healthcare, you know, it's, it's life or death. Yet these seem to have been the most targeted. Oh, and the, and the defence force as well as the defence. Oh, and, and defence and, and police, yeah, sorry. But, but as far as the public are concerned, you know, if the hospitals are losing so many people, they, they have no capacity anymore, 5,000 out of education, a lot of them very skilled people in, in you know, quite uh, uh, crucial areas, you know, the system starts to break down, doesn't it? They're prepared to let it break down. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I think so. And I think one of the, the saddest things that I've witnessed going back to school is, or, or just even just doing a little bit of relief teaching, is that the kids are now so scared of everything. It has been, you know, that they're, they're, they're fearful of everything. I, I had a wee, a wee year seven boy come up to me and go, oh, this, this is happening. There's going to be a massive eruption. We're all going to, and I'm like, no dude it's okay you know don't worry you know you're getting they're getting all this messaging if left right and center watch out for covid you're going to die from covid Fear this born. is going to happen you know the, everything is just all doom and gloom and these poor students are, are just being hit from all sides um it, it's having such a huge impact on just everybody yes yeah, so everything think. is being catastrophized isn't it yeah. everything even the weather yeah Man. Yeah. Okay. So, what happens? What happens next? Uh, who's representing uh, this uh, appeal? And uh, what's the timeline? How's it going to play out? So, um, we have Matthew Haig um, representing us from Frontline Law. Um, it, it's really wonderful. He's jumped on. He's a, he's an amazing lawyer um, who's been just wonderful talking through through points and making sure that he has all the information. Um, the at the moment, um, the, the appeal is on the 19th of this month in Wellington in the Court of Appeal. Yeah. Um, we are hoping that it's going to be not a huge timeline before we have an, a decision about what side or what. Do you think they might it. slow walk it? Sorry. Yeah. And Rachel. <laughs> yeah. Potential for that, do you think? Because it's politically, potentially politically damaging in an election year. And you've all already got chippy a bit yeah. on the ropes in the last week or so. There's this could be slow walked, couldn't it? Yeah, it could be. And it'll be really, really sad if, for example, they do slow walk it and the decision comes out if a new government gets in because, you know, with everybody's way of feeling about everything. Um, if, say, Labour doesn't get in and a national or another group of people do get in, um, it, it's going to be almost they might try and kind of brush it aside again because you know it happened in the past it was a COVID year um I, I know I was talking to Alison earlier today it's really interesting when all this happened we've sent letters out to human rights commissions to teachers councils to the health and disability when all this happened we've sent all these letters out to boards everything and all the response is uh, under COVID-19 um Bill, everything is acceptable and you have no rights, basically. So whether they try and keep that going and then just say, oh, was that was the old government, we've got a new one and let's go for gold. There's a know. lot of there's a lot of let's just uh, move move on, put it in the rear view mirror, sweep it under the the carpet yeah. sort of attitude. I guess I guess if you've been part of the mass psychosis, that's what people call it, it's traumatic to revisit it, I would imagine. You just want it gone. Um yeah, I, I guess, well, it's, I think everybody, I mean, when you look back on 2020 right through to, to now, it, it, it has been traumatic for everybody. Whatever side you have been on, you have been traumatised. Either you've been incredibly frightened to go out to the, the to the supermarket because some of those lurgies might jump out at you from the, the shelves, you know, keep five metres apart from each other, people not being able to go to funerals. I mean, People have been traumatised with that fear, but people have also been traumatised by the actions of the government. So um, nobody likes to admit they're wrong. 
that that's the thing it, it, it is um that you know the saddest thing with us all um that has happened is is seeing the actions of new zealanders yeah. i i probably the most disheartening for me was not so much what the government did but the actions of the people who followed it through when we had our last court case um last year we we, uh, many of us were at the um, train station just having signs up where we were surrounded by police and watched for the two or three days that we were there. Um, I remember one time I was I, I went into the tried to go to the bathroom at the train station where they told me to get out and people like me were not welcome um, to use a public bathroom. So uh, the, the actions of those people, I don't think that it'll be very hard for them to admit what they've done because they treated other people like they were less than nothing and they justified that by saying that they were protecting everybody else. You had the government saying, let's inform of each other. I mean, during lockdowns, they were encouraging people to call the police. And, and you know, I know of one young lady who moved down from Auckland with permission and then into a small town and she had the police on her doorstep um, because she had left Auckland and did she have the paperwork to show for it because some neighbour had noticed that she had come into the, you know, it's just people got really because they were scared. Again, it goes back to that fear. They were so scared and they were so um, willing to believe what the government was saying. And they were angry. They were made angry. They were angry, but also the government was saying, we are your one source of truth. I think there was an article um, overseas where they were talking about how, oh, you know, everyone should move on and just forget it and all be be friends and huggy, huggy (laughs) and sing sing kumbaya. And I don't know if I agree with that because the only way you can move forward in any healing I find is if you actually talk and you talk about what happened and you admit, you know, this is what happened and you, yeah, I I don't think that people can truly heal until we have that acknowledgement, which is one of the reasons why we want to go to court. We want this to be acknowledged that what the government did was so far above what powers they should have that we need an acknowledgement that what they did was wrong because the scary thing is if we do not win this, if we will keep on fighting, but if we never win this, it means who's to say that our government or the next government that comes in says, right, everybody who's got blue eyes, I'm sorry, you're an aberration. Let's let's get rid of, I mean, there's a point in time where you have to go, how far is too far? Well, it'll be climate. So um, you can imagine a scenario where, I'm sceptical about climate and there might be um, traces around showing that I am. Well, we don't like you anymore. <laughs> so we'll you. using your analogy there with blue eyes, you're labeled and maybe you can only live where we tell you to live yeah. or you can only do certain things that we tell you because of your views, you know, it would be so easy to do it. And you can see that creep happening now, can't you? You can see mm-hmm that there um so uh, you mentioned uh, rachel that um, a lot of the um, education sector workers that were mandated out who might now have the opportunity i think you mentioned it uh, to come back into the workforce are choosing not to yeah yeah so we're, we're not, not getting the we're not getting the bounce back no, no. Well, I mean, there, there's a couple of things. So there are groups of people in the education sector who are mandated who are saying, well, actually, 
you know, they're so heartbroken that that is traumatic going back and facing people who treated them as as pariahs. I mean, you have to understand it just wasn't the whole you're terminated, but there was stuff all over social media calling them bad educators. They were, what are they doing? They obviously don't care about the children. They're selfish. They're so, you know, what people like that should not be people. children. You know, yeah. that's the sort of stuff. And, and so that has really... It's been really heartbreaking for those people. But again, there are whole groups of people who have been trying to get back and they've been applying for whatever jobs that they can. I know somebody who's applied for 18 jobs and not received one call back and they're well qualified and not nothing. And nothing. So, they, they so is there a database of who is and who isn't then that can be... Uh looked at when they're assessing job applications well as i said the teachers council when when you apply for a job the board of trustees will look up the teachers council and if you have a black mark against your name then that will be a very good indicator not to hire you because normally the teachers council only give you a black mark if you have done if you've committed a really big offense like uh, abused somebody also so being non-vaxxed is like a disciplinary yes categorized as a disciplinary issue is it Yes. What? Yeah. Crikey. Yeah. So, so yeah, so those ones, those people who were terminated got letters from the Teachers' Council saying that they now had um, this against their name. Not that it was going to be held against them or anything, right. but it is still there. And as I said, uh, principals, when they are hiring, will be able to access that information and will see that they were non-compliant, um, which, and of course... Don't you hate that term, non-compliant? <laughs> People shiver with fear when they hear that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because you really don't want teachers in schools who did not follow the directions of the government. That would be catastrophic, really, wouldn't it? Um, I want to ask you uh, in a moment what you think the chances are. Alison, I mean, this is not like um, uh, education sector, but you're in in the medical field, and there's some similarities here. Where are things at in health? with uh, mandates, I believe they have not been relaxed or they haven't gone away, sort of like the last holdout. Um, Yes, they're not under, um, healthcare workers aren't under a government mandate uh, as such. They've outsourced it. Well, yes, yes, to to, Te Whatuora or Health New Zealand. So they still, so anyone working, wanting to work in a public hospital um, and possibly some of the ancillary services related to the public hospital are still subject to a mandate and I think as far as I understand that's three doses that they need to have had uh at least by now um why, general why practice three? why three We're up to four. why 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 only three well I don't know um, there might be a revolt at number four like there, there, there might be a mass oh. walkout if they try and force the fourth one I, I'm not entirely sure on that but um I think you might even as well go the all the way that... right you might as well go all the way well, I mean, sometimes it feels like that's what is, is happening, like the whole system is deliberately being disabled, you know, when you read what, what's going on. But, um, yes, there's three. For general practice, though, I think there's a little bit more flexibility. And, um, yes, certainly some GPs have been able to go back um, to work now. I guess it depends on their employment situation, whether they're part of a big corporate that's made their own mandates or whether they're part of a smaller practice Um with people that are either more desperate to hire a GP or more open to, um, you know, GPs that aren't vaccinated. Meanwhile, the vaccinated GPs run, what, their seventh dose of COVID now? Or seventh uh, infection of COVID? Seventh infection. I don't know if it's quite seven infections. Okay, well, four, three, you know. (laughs) 
certainly yeah, there's a number of people that, that have had it more than once um yeah okay so is there any um do you think any prospect of that outsourced mandating ending because we've got workforce issues haven't we um that are, are constraining capacity causing problems in hospitals and affecting people's health care oh absolutely yes well I, I don't know there's been a recent um discussion document with Te Whatuora outlining you know a number of other immunization requirements not just COVID uh, there so I mean it's almost like they're increasing the requirements rather than reducing them oh gosh all right um so uh, chances of success with this wow. what, what do you think can you put a like a percentage on it I, I've got a feeling that you might not get over the line just because of the way things have gone now but what do I know and I hope I'm wrong yeah, I, I, I'm thinking I would really like to be kind of 100% we've got a shot of this, um, but I think with the current climate, we have to also be a realist, um, maybe 50-50. Um, regardless of whether we win or lose, though, we will we will still keep on fighting. I think that's the one thing about the education sector is that, you know, we, we, we're, we're triers. Um, yeah. So we will keep on doing this, but we are finding, like, we're <laughs> – Many of our members, as I said, have lost their jobs or they've ended up going from well-paying jobs and being a good member of society to um, people who are just, you know, on the benefit or um, on low-paying wages. But they've managed to to help um, contribute to these court costs. Um, we still are fundraising for the court costs. So we, we have a give a little page um, that, that we are doing. Um, but it, uh, tell, us the, tell us the address of that because people wanted to jump in. So if you, while you're talking or whatever, you can bring that up and yeah. give us the, the, the give a little page address for that. Yeah, no, I, I will do that. It's just even if you jump on to give a little and you just put NZTSOS. Oh, okay, do a search. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, just do a search. It'll come up. NZTSOS. Um, yeah. Oh, yes, yeah, it, it does come up. Um, the thing is with that, so we do need to keep on fighting, regardless of, of whether we win or lose. If, if we win, it means that we will then start looking at putting maybe a class action suit. Um, it'll be it'll set a precedent and we can have other sectors such as the... That could be huge. It would be huge. It would be, impact so many people um, because it's not just been education or health or, or um, defence. It's been... I mean, so many sectors around the country were mandated with people who, who really didn't want to have it. And, and if they do judge in our favour, it would set a precedent which would give the opportunity for people to go, hang on a second, we were adversely affected by this. We're going to go and try and get compensation and acknowledgement. And that's what we should have. We should have compensation and acknowledgement. People have lost their homes. They've lost, I mean, people have lost everything. They've lost family. I mean, that the trauma from all of this has left a really deep scar on New Zealand and there needs to be acknowledgement and there needs to be compensation. So that that would be happening. We would still fight regardless of whether we lost. If we win, on the other hand, again, we will, we will mount another court case to try and get compensation for people. That's just what we're going to do. And that's going to be, I would imagine, a huge total given the numbers involved. In fact, yeah. that, could be, that could be a significant hit on the country's finances potentially. Yeah, yeah. Or am I being too dramatic? No, I think there'll be a, a good number of people. If, I think even now and in, in just in generally when you talk to people, the amount of people who say, I only took this shot because I was forced to do so. Oh, here's a question because I know you mentioned that earlier. What do you think the percentage of the workforce, education workforce, um, who took the shots felt coerced? Didn't do it because oh. they were, 
you know, doing it to save grandma and themselves and everything, but did it reluctantly um, just to maintain the job and all the other things. Coercion. I, I think a huge proportion. I know a lot of schools were potentially going to lose almost half their staff for those people who were not going to get it. But then in the end, they they weighed up their job and their livelihood and went and got the vaccination. Um, we have people, I know people who um, were overseas, from overseas, and they, they'd been here for a few years. Their visa was dependent on them still working right. and they had no real choice. Like the amount of people that I know personally who went and got it because not because they wanted it, not because they believed in it. They knew that there were risks and they still, I had people crying as they were getting the shot, sobbing hysterically as they got the shot and they still went and had to go get it. for. And that, that again is something. And then the vaccine injured. How many vaccine injured, Alison, do we have in this country so yeah. far? Do we know, Alison? No, not officially, not at all. No. Have, have we got though like a dead wreck in ballpark? Well, I mean, on the MedSafe um, website, the safety report, the latest one at the end of November, there were about 3,500 serious adverse events reported. Uh, but MedSafe also admits on its website that that's only about 5%, only about 5% of adverse events get reported. So those are the serious ones. There's 60-something thousand total adverse event reports on the MedSafe website. But if that's only 5%, you know, it's potentially 20 times those numbers. But they're being um, fobbed off. They're told they're anxious. They're told that this, they're, if they, you know, if they haven't mentioned that it might be due to the vaccine, the doctor's not going to bring it up. Uh, if they do ask, if they say, do you think the vaccine caused this? They're getting told, oh, no, nothing to do with that. Or, um, yeah, so, yes, I think there are large numbers of people having all sorts of unusual medical events, uh, infections that they can't get rid of, heart attacks, strokes, blood clots, bells, palsy, shingles, uh, sudden death um, that, you know, isn't necessarily being attributed to the vaccine, that, that uh, those events are happening in vast numbers. That's why our hospitals, you know, that's part of the reason why our hospitals are overwhelmed, but you're not hearing anything about that in mainstream media. No. You know, and oh. part of it's being put down to long COVID, long COVID with all the symptoms of fatigue and racing heart and Which uh, are the adverse pain. reaction? Well, yes. I mean, yeah. what is it? Is it actually long COVID or is it an adverse reaction to the vaccine or is it a combination of both? I mean, some people haven't had COVID, so it can't be long COVID. Um, well, it's suspicious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you've had long COVID after the vaccine, that yeah. is a question. Now, it may not mean, you know, you could jump to conclusions there, but you've got to ask the question. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yes, the questions are not. Well, some people are trying to ask the questions, yeah, no but good um, the important yeah. questions are not being answered. See, the one thing that happened during the mandates is that we were told that there would be exemptions and we have people who were adversely acted, uh, affected by the first shot um, who ended up with neurological damage and it's all been confirmed by doctors and universities and testing and stuff, but they were still not eligible for an exemption to go back and they were told they had to take a second shot um, to continue to work in schools. So one of the things that we will be talking about in our court case is that criteria for, because we brought it up last time, the criteria for the um, exemptions, because many people did have medical um, information that showed that they were not allowed to, that, that to get this, this vaccine was potentially going to be very risky and harm them. Um, but yet again, that was not actually looked at. Not enough. 
Um, we had um, on this program just on a week ago, uh, a couple of folk who are involved in the caregivers issue, you know, where their, their funding or, or payments were withdrawn, even if they're looking after family members in the home um, because they were unvaccinated. Of course, that caused huge hardship. And one of the women uh, that we were talking to who, who was in that situation had a child at home getting paid to be the caregiver, 700 a week, something like that. Anyway, she was eligible for an exemption. And she went for an exemption. And guess who refused it? Christopher Hipkins, the prime minister, refused it. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, he's just a guy from the hut. What does he know? Yeah. He's only ever been a student activist. What does he know? How come he is refusing a mother? I mean, I almost, my blood boils. I can't mm-hmm. believe it. Yeah. Who are these people? Well, well, in regard to the 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 um that case which Matthew Haig has also been doing, so our lawyer's been doing that particular case. Um, when you look at the early childhood um mandates, it wasn't just the the teachers of, of home-based care, for example, who were mandated, they were told that their children over the age of 16 in their household had to also be vaccinated unless if they wanted to continue working. So you had people who were who were looking after children in their own homes being told, I'm sorry, not just you, but everybody else in your home that is over the age of 16 has to get this shot. Um, and yeah, and so some some people lost their jobs because of that as well. They didn't want to. They may have had children that they thought it was actually more detrimental to get that vaccine, so they lost their jobs to protect their children. Wow. It's madness, isn't it? It's like being on the inside of a – like one flew over the cuckoo's nest or something. Being um, in there. When yeah. up is down and down is up, it's, it's yeah. completely, it's, utterly crazy. Yeah. Um, it would be really interesting to see, I have to say, in future years to look back on this and actually have all the stories collated. I know people around the country are doing uh, stories like the Died Suddenly page on Facebook, which got shut down after it reached something like 10,000 members and people yes. commenting. They are trying to collate all this information and and it keeps on being shut down or it keeps on being um, or disappearing um, with that. And, and that, that's really interesting because I think we there is a lot of stories out there. I think everybody has a story, whether it is their friend down the road and his 20s who suddenly had a heart attack or, um, you, you know, just story after story that surely people are starting to see that there is a correlation with what has happened in the last few years and what is happening now. You'd think. Yeah, that would be a great thing. Yeah. Who knows what will happen? We might actually have not a two-tier but a separated society later on because if you don't want to live with the people who impose that on you you've got to find your own way a parallel way of doing it a lot of people are talking about that how do you have a parallel sort of system where you can sort of go off the grid of the of the mainstream and and carry on um, being you you know Um, it's really interesting that that's for another day but you know who knows how this is going to sort of end up yeah. Well, yes, yes. Well, it's not over yet because all the legislation that enabled it and and like we were talking about before, nobody's acknowledged the harm that's happened. It could all happen again at the click of a tick of some fingers if the next virus comes. And I mean, there's been threats from those on high that, yes, the next one's coming. Um, you know, it they, could they all seem to again. know, Alison. They seem seem to know in advance yeah, that one's that's coming. Right. 
probably even know what day it will land. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we all know oh, birds in the paper today. <laughs> Yep. Well, well, that's it. It's again, that's that whole fear thing. It's just this whole build, build up. And, and when you look at say, hemorrhagic is the one to go though, because that's the scariest one. The pictures yeah. look horrible. Monkeypox might have looked a bit gross, but you know, um, people bleeding from every orifice. That that that's oh, gold that's, for propaganda. That's the Marburg one that's yeah, in the paper today. Yeah, yeah, Marburg. So what about yeah. the fungus one? Because there's a fungus one out oh, too. Oh, even better. By the fungus and the zombie virus that's going to happen. Yep. Brilliant. Can't wait. All right. Hey, thanks so much. Uh, that was a really interesting chat, Rachel Mortimer and uh, Dr. Alison Goodwin. And, you know, I really hope this works out, but I I shouldn't inject any pessimism into it, but just given what's happened and um, the things that you used to kind of rely on, not ever really panning out, I think there's a chance. Well, you, well you've got to be ready. We've got to be ready that it might not go that way, but who knows? Yeah. Yep. No, that, that's right. I think we have to be optimistic. We have to be seen to be doing the right thing. I mean, that's the, this is the direction the teachers have taken. We've gone through and what the doctors have done as well. We've been, we've been seen doing, following the processes. That's what we've been doing is we simply want to follow the process, go through the, the courts, make sure that the law acknowledges what happened. And, and I guess the best thing is just to make, well, the hope is that it is going to pay off. Um, that that is the hope. And I guess Justice Cook went back to his chambers and then back home thinking he'd done a great day's work. <laughs> I guess we'll find out in, in 11 days when they have the court case uh, with, uh, with, with the other three judges presiding are going to agree with that or not. That's up to them at the end of the day. All right, and we'll hopefully report the result we will of that. Uh, so thank you uh, so much, Rachel and Alison. All the best. Thanks, Paul. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.